0: It is my privilege to uh, bring to the front uh, Pastor Steve Shangra. He's going to be bringing the Word of God today. And um, uh, Tim called me, well, he texted me and he said, Would you like to introduce Steve Shangra because you know him? And I said, Of course, it's a privilege. So, to tell you a little bit about Steve, because I know him. and I'm not the social of the two, so she's the social of the two. So with that said, um, you introduce this great family to what?
1: Well, they remind me that I took them first to ABC Donuts in Downey, a good place, and then In-N-Out and the Rose Parade in the morning before it starts.
0: When they arrive to California, to Los Angeles. Right. right. Now, uh, with the serious ones, are we welcome uh, Buddy, my, uh, I haven't seen my nephew for a long time. He's my adopted nephew.
1: He's his nephew
0: and not mine, somehow. I'm special. And uh, Michaela, uh, the, they have four children, uh, five children had one. Five children. Uh, one is, uh, has two babies in Northern Carolina. North Carolina. And um, he's married to Julie. Yeah, this is not a TV show. I need to cut the, the, the TV show kind of a thing. Um, we met when we were attending a church in Downey, First Baptist Church of uh, Downey. We met, we spent a lot of uh, months together, fellowshipping with each other and until we moved here. And then um, it is a privilege to welcome him, and uh, he's going to uh, bring the Word of God. He has been uh, working as an associate pastor there at the same church in Downey. Uh, he's going to. Um, Master's seminary, and um, I think that's all I have. So, and he graduates very, very soon. So, praise God for that. So.
1: This is a delight, this is a delight to be with you today. Is working. Ah, there you go. Thank you so much. Well, we try to be smooth and turn the buttons on, but um, I, I flunked today. They gave me all the instruction I needed back in the back. Thank you, everyone, for the the great music, uh, the wonderful uh, enriching time we've already had in worship. Just in song is just so wonderful. Uh, today, I'd like to bring a message out of Colossians chapter three. I will be in the first four verses today. If you'd like to turn there with me in your Bibles, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 will be the text. I don't know about you, but uh, it is interesting to watch the Olympic Games. Uh, if you've enjoyed some of that, it's always exciting to dial in and see the lives of these athletes and the pressure that unfolds before really the whole world. Uh, there are a lot of things that have happened already, and uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful time. It's a time that many of these athletes dream about for years and years. It is their their greatest passion, their singular focus to compete on the world stage. And for some, they taste the, the extraordinary privilege of, of meddling and they become almost heroes uh, and uh, their names are remembered for years and years to come. Others, however, struggle. Others uh, face Uh, the the heartbreak that comes with defeat. Um, The one thing that uh, has been noticed is that after the Olympics, when the torch is extinguished and the rings have all been put away and the athletes have gone home from the village and they go back to their communities, that some of them, when they've competed in their last Olympic Games, they find themselves strangely unaware of what their purpose in life should then become. Because for so many years of their life, they've devoted all of their passion towards the event. And when the event has come and gone, many of them are left wondering, who am I and what is my purpose? One such individual was a man named Jarrett Peterson. Everyone knew him as Speedy Peterson. And he was the one, an acrobatic skier who had uh, an amazing jump called the hurricane. And he was the first one to land it. And at the time, in the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, he scored the highest aerial score in ski jumping that had ever been registered. Uh, It is an amazing jump that involves five twists and three flips in the air. And uh, he had the trick and he had the personal story and he had the confidence. He had his whole life figured out he was going to win the gold medal. And then he was going to do the reality TV shows. And then he was going to move to Los Angeles and he was going to be sort of the rock star. But sadly, even though he landed that jump and scored the highest score that ever been scored in that in that event, he took the silver. Because there are multiple jumps. And so he went home with great discouragement, having only got the silver. It was the third time he'd gone to the Olympics. And the elusive gold medal proved to be that, just elusive. Well, there's a lot of things that Speedy Peterson struggled with. But depression really set in after that event. And a year and a half later, for one of our silver medalists... He called 911 from Lambs Canyon, Utah on July 25th, 2011. And the 911 operator, answering the phone, asked what the emergency was, and he said, I'm in the parking lot at Lambs Canyon. Okay, what's going on there? I'm going to kill myself. They scrambled the emergency support personnel, but by the time they got there, they found his lifeless body. Hard to believe, hard to understand how a U.S. Olympian, a silver medalist, uh person at the, the height of his game found life so miserable, not worth living. And that's the case sometimes when the glamour disappears. If I'm not an Olympian any longer, who am I? Well, today I'd like to Talk about the importance of focusing our attention on heaven, focusing our attention on things that are eternal, living for things that will never fade away, living for things that will never fail us. If you found your way to Colossians three, reading from the ESV this morning, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, mighty God, as we come now to the text, how we pray that the Spirit of God would help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Father, I pray that you, through your Spirit's power, would do a work in us that no preacher can do. The Father, you'd have sway and dominion with us, and Lord, that we would consider the challenge of the text today, the implications of a life that's lived in pursuit of Christ, in pursuit of the things that are of eternal worth. Father, we do pray that you'd help us to be touchable and teachable this morning. We ask Lord that you'd have your way with us. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ as Savior, that today might be the day of salvation for that soul. Oh, Lord, we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. My proposition for us this morning is that Colossians 3, 1 through 4, gives us four motivations to help the believer stay focused on the things above. Again, four motivations to help the believer stay focused on On the things above. The context of the passion passage, this is one of Paul's epistles uh, written uh, to the church in Colossae dated between 60 and 62 A.D. Uh, This is a marvelous epistle in that Paul had not yet met the people to whom he was writing. Uh, We see this in Colossians chapter 1 that he had heard all about them. He had heard the great reports about the things going on in the church through a man named Epaphras. And Paul was burdened to pray for them, that they would grow in in grace, that they would uh, be filled with knowledge and that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they would be bearing fruit in every good work, work and increasing in knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, giving thanks to the father. And so we see this pastoral heart that Paul has for this church that he has not yet met. And then in chapter one, we see this amazing Mount Everest portion of scripture that talks about the deity of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, that through him all things were created, that he holds all things together, that he is the head of the body that He is preeminent among all things, that in Him the fullness of the Godhead is pleased to dwell, that through Him He reconciles to Himself all things, that He makes peace through the blood of His cross. Passionate and wonderful is the love of Christ for His church. And then in chapter 2, Paul, there's this hard shift where he introduces a great struggle that he has had in his heart for Colossae. He challenges them not to be duped by man's philosophy, to beware of empty deceit and human tradition. They were to resist legalism and mysticism and asceticism. And then we come to this beautiful passage of Scripture before us today. I want us to identify with the two imperative commands in this passage before us. You'll note that it says in verse 1, seek, and in verse 2, set your minds. These imperative commands that Paul has for us—they are—they are challenges. They are—they are to call us to do something. There is a responsibility to respond to the text. When Paul says, "Seek, set your mind," there is a challenge for the believer to embrace. Contrast the opening story of that speedy Peterson with another man in his twenties who lived in the seventeenth century, an American theologian, preacher and missionary, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He was also in his 20s when he wrote, resolved that I will live so as I wish I had done before I come to die, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Here's the man living for eternity, resolved to get as much joy in the world to come as he could get. Resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in Him and consecrate myself wholly to Him, that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. Resolved very much to exercise myself In this all my life, with the greatest openness I am capable of to declare my ways to God and lay open my soul to Him, all my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything in every circumstance. He was the man on fire for the things of Christ. And he was the man that bore his soul. The temptations, the struggles, the fears, the difficulties, his sins, and everything before the Lord. Didn't try to bottle them up, pretend that they didn't exist, hide them away, tuck them away, put on a facade, live a a, a plastic life, be a spiritual chameleon. No, this was a man who lived his life for the glory of Christ. He was one who sought the things that were above. He was one who set his mind on the things above. And God used this man mightily for his glory. And so the first of the four motivations for us today that I want to look at. The believer should stay focused on things above because they have died with Christ. Again, the believer should stay focused on things above because they have died with Christ. Verse 3 For you have died. What does it mean to die? Well, in Colossians chapter two, going back to the previous chapter, Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations of the world? That is. Dying to the former way of living, dying to the former way of thinking, dying to the passions that used to have sway and dominion with your heart. When we come to Christ. We are dying to self. And this is the essence of what Paul writes about in Romans chapter six. Many of you know the passage. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? The challenge is is that we are to be different from the former self. We start to love the things we used to hate and we hate the things we used to love because we've died to self. Thomas Chalmers, the Scottish minister and theologian from the 1800s, writes. It will now be seen, perhaps, why it is that the heart keeps by its present affections with so much tenacity. When the attempt is to do them away by a mere process of extirpation or removal. It will not consent, the heart that is, it will not consent to be so desolated. The strong man whose dwelling place is there may be compelled to give way to another occupier. But unless another stronger than he has power to dispossess and succeed him, he will keep his present lodgment never to be taken. The heart would revolt against its own emptiness. It could not bear to be left in such a state of waste. And cheerless insipidity, The moralist who tries such a process of dispossession as this upon the heart is thwarted at every step by the recoil of its own mechanism. Okay, I've read that 50 times and there's some words in there that I still don't understand. What Thomas Chalmers is getting at here is that when we simply... Set our mind to do something in our own strength, unless something more mighty replaces the thing that we've cast out. The thing that we've cast out will come back with a vengeance. But if if something else replaces that empty spot in our heart that has more power than that which has been cast out, that new being, that new presence will keep that land and so Thomas Chalmers was saying, It is futile in your own strength, Christian, to say, I will not sin. In your own strength, it is futile. It must be in the strength of Christ. When we when we decide to live a life for the glory of God, we know we cannot do it in our own strength. And the, the worst thing that a pastor could do for his congregation would be to just send them home saying, Try harder. No, we must recognize how much we need Christ. How much we need His power in our life. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me and herein you will bear much fruit. We must walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. We must rely upon the power and the presence of Christ. But there is a responsibility to set our mind upon the fact that we have died, to focus on the fact that we have died, and in that kernel of truth, we see that there's union with Christ, and we abide with Christ, and we walk with Christ, and there is the responsibility to die to self. And at the core of this is genuine repentance, is genuine repentance. It is saying, "I am turning from my sin. I'm resisting the devil, and he will resist and he will flee, and I am drawing nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to me. James chapter one. Amen. That we must walk in the power of Christ. But the believer should stay focused on things above because they've died with Christ. And secondly, beloved, the believer should stay focused on things because they've been raised with Christ. They've been raised with Christ. Colossians chapter two, verse twelve having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So the first motivation for focusing on things above is that we've died with Christ. And the second is that we've been raised with Christ. Taking a look back here to Colossians 3, notice here Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, Christ. We take a look back to Colossians 2 verse 12. It says here, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven your uh, us all our sins now we can take a look down in verse 20 as we've referenced again. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. There, what I mean to say is that there's no question in Paul's heart if the church to whom he is writing has indeed died. This word if, is, it's rhetorical. He could also, it could also be understood as since you have. Since you've been buried with Christ. Since you are alive with Christ. Since you died with Christ. The point is this, is that Paul writing to the converts in Colossae knew that they had been saved. And we can understand this if then you've been raised with Christ. To the believer, he is saying, since you've been raised with Christ. But perhaps read in the open forum like today, there is this question that the person hearing the writing should, there should be some self inspection if you've been raised with Christ. Person, if you are here today, friend, then you've not been raised with Christ. You are yet in your sin. If you've not been raised with Christ, you are bound to go to an eternal hell. Unless Christ saves you, if you've not been raised with Christ, you are you are in a spiritual danger zone. The fact is, all Christians have been raised with Christ, and so Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians thirteen five: Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Point being, there are people that go to church and they carry their Bibles and they come and they sing the hymns and they do all the right things that Christians do and maybe they've grown up saying the, 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 the right things and doing the right things but deep down inside there's not been genuine conversion and I think one of the most terrifying things in the scriptures that Christ will say to those that are not truly his depart from me for I never knew you and some will say, but Lord, Lord, we did these things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We, we did all these wonderful works in your name. We went to church in your name. We sang in the choir in your name. We, we, we were missionaries in your name. We preached the word in your name. We did, But I never knew you. And so there's there's the, the necessity of personal conversion to Christ. And because I'm a visiting pastor this morning... I must confess that with the exception of only a handful of you, I I don't know you. But shame on me if I did not clearly announce the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the Bible says we are all sinners. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, friend. If you've never turned from your sin and trusted in Christ and his shed blood on the cross as payment for your sins, won't you turn now? Won't you repent of your sin and trust Christ? The Bible says in in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he that knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of Christ in him It is this beautiful transaction. Where the God of the universe looking down on our sinfulness, sends his sinless son to the cross. And he dies in your place and in my place. And if we with a heart of repentance would come and say, oh God, forgive me a sinner. Come into my life and save me. If we would trust in that. And if you're here today and you've never done that. If that's never been the experience of your life. Won't you cry out to God to save your soul? But Paul writes to this church, he says, since you've been raised with Christ, it's because we've been raised with Christ that we must keep our affections set on heaven One of the most beautiful things about the the baptism experience in church is the picture that it is is of what God has done. Romans chapter 6, we've already read the first two verses. The Bible goes on to say, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's this picture of Christ's death on the cross, His burial and His resurrection. And when we go into the waters of believers' baptism, we come up, there's a a picture, a symbol to the church saying, I too now identify what Christ did on the cross and in the grave and in the empty tomb that Christ died, was buried and rose again for me. And now I live to make that message known to others because I've been united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. Amen. And so we have resurrection power. We, 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 are a, we are a person in Christ, woven in Christ, identifying with Christ. And we are called new creations in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 says in verse 5, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ has made us alive together with Him. For by grace you've been saved. One of the first Bible verses that I I remember learning was on my wife's Bible um, uh, bookmark. I was going to church with her. I'd, I was a heathen. Um, I had I'd been raised by good parents, but I did not know the gospel. I uh, thought if I just did more good than bad, that God would have to let me into his heaven. And I was sort of keeping, you know, the private books you know, weighing my sin and trying to figure out how much good did I have to do to sort of offset. I was totally, totally messed up with a with with a broken theology. But I was going to church with her and I was hearing the Bible preached and and proclaimed. And I remember God just got a hold of my soul and shook me up. I was 18 years old. I'd already lived recklessly in high school and had Failed the Lord so many times. But in, in the summer of 1988, God saved my, my soul. I remember this young lady. We were teenagers together, went to school together, and she had this Bible bookmark. And on it was Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we, we might walk therein. We are His workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus. I wasn't created in Christ Jesus until I got saved by Christ Jesus. The Bible says we become a new creation. And that's how we walk in resurrection power. Because we are a new person. We have a new heart we have new desires and new ambitions. And the second reason why we must stay focused on things above is because we've been raised with Christ. Now to the third reason. The believer should stay focused on things above because they are hid in Christ. Because you are hid in Christ. Look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul would write, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul was speaking about a newness of life and a new way of living, that he lived no longer by his own power and his own strength and in his own intelligence, in his own study, in his own command of Scripture, in in, in all of the traditions of men that he had kept, in all of the, the most noble things that any Hebrew of Hebrew, any, any, any Pharisee could could brag or boast of, he counted that all is refuge, all is dung, and he lived in Christ's power, in the, in the strength of Christ. And you want to know what? That's curious to the world. That's not the way the world lives. It's absolutely upside down from the way the world lives. And so when we think about our life being hid in... Christ must recognize that we live a life different from the way the world lives. First Corinthians 2:14 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are a folly to him. Romans eight verse seven says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law indeed it cannot. you see what the Bible is saying is that we need... To, to have a mind that is, that is aligned with God, we need to have the Holy Spirit of God living in us to help us understand His Word and understand His ways. That the preaching of the cross is folly to those that are not in Christ, to those who are perishing, First 1 Corinthians one eighteen says. And so you see that our life being hid in Christ, we, we live our life beating to the, to the march of a different drum. Being, marching to the beat of a different drum. Well, I was I don't know how you do that. But anyways, we we live our life marching to the beat of another Did I get there Where did our drummer go? Yeah, brother. OK, uh, so. Um, yeah, but we're different now and our life is hidden in Christ. You know what? Our unsaved friends are not going to get it. They're not going to understand all the things that we're passionate about. They're not going to understand why we're living for things that we can't see. They're not going to understand the essence of faith. They're not going to understand laying up treasure in glory. They're not going to understand going through the sacrifices that you may be called to go through to, to advance the gospel. They're not going to understand the things that God is demanding or expecting from your life. They're not going to understand things like, I'm putting away my sin. They're not going to understand that. But your life is hid in Christ, He's got you. Firmly in the grip of His grace. You are a child of the King in Christ. and He's bought you with His blood. You are a royal priesthood. Holy nation. Peculiar people. You are different. And that is wonderful. Stop trying to look like the world. Stop trying to fit in with the world. Oh, I wish that our teenagers would stop trying to look just like the latest model or the latest rock star or the latest actor to roll out of Hollywood. Because we're not supposed to look like the world. And the most destructive thing, too, is to pretend we don't, but secretly live like we want to. And Christ says... I judge the inward part. Man looks in the outward appearance, but God ponders the heart. And some of us, we may not know that we're on the brink of spiritual failure, of, of shipwrecking our lives, because deep down inside we're not happy with the life God is calling us to live. But, oh friend, take a look at what God has done for you. These are motivations to live a life seeking the things above because you've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ and now your life is hid in Christ. Hugh Latimer was one such man. Hugh Latimer was privileged to preach before Henry VIII, a man known for his gross immorality. And in many ways, like John the Baptist preached to Herod, the English Protestant pastor, Hugh Latimer preached before Henry VIII, calling out similar sins of gross immorality in King Henry's life. And one such time he was called to preach, Hugh Latimer announced before the king, speaking almost in third person, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. And then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence comest thou? upon whose message Thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God who is all present and who beholdeth all Thy ways and who is able to cast Thy soul into hell. Therefore, take care that Thou deliverest Thy message faithfully. Isn't that wonderful? He knew that the King could order that His head be chopped off. But He also knew before whom He preached. He preached for an audience of one. Now, you tell me that's not a life that's hid in Christ. He was not afraid of man. He was afraid of God. And we need more of a healthy fear of God in our life. I'm not talking about, you know, you fear God like maybe you fear getting, you know, uh, unrighteously beaten. No, you fear God because you love and respect the fact that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That he has, he has all power, he has all glory, and He has condescended to us to, to call us friend. We serve the King of kings. And your life is to be different. And so, set your mind on things above because your life is hid in Christ. And lastly, the believer should stay focused on things above because they will return with Christ. Look at verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears Then you also will Appear with him in glory Isn't that wonderful to think That we're going to appear with Christ You know we uh, We have been The recipients of Such a broken Man centered Philosophically Damaged View of heaven That Many Christians think, well, you know, if, I, if I'm saved, when I die, I just, I, I just go to heaven. Well, then what? I don't know. I, I guess I float around. Maybe I get my wings like an angel. Maybe I float around in a cloud. Do I play a harp? Do I sing all day? What do I do? And yet that is so unbiblical. The Bible says that with Christ, we will rule and reign with Christ. The Bible says that we will appear with Him in glory. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 12, the saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with, with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air. And so we will ever be with the Lord. Now this speaks about the rapture of the church. This speaks about the fact that the Bible says that those that are in Christ will be caught up together to be within the clouds. And John 14 says uh, that I have gone to prepare a place for you and, if I will, and I will go and prepare a place. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Titus says we would be waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is to be looking for the return of Christ and he is going to take up his his children, his followers will be swept up to be with him in the clouds. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The Bible says that in First Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The Bible says Christ is coming with all his saints. So there's the rapture of the church and then there's the second coming of Christ when He comes and He establishes his, his throne in Zion. When He comes and He rules and reigns on this earth. Revelation 5, verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests of our God and they shall reign on the earth. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that we are to judge the angels? And Revelation 20 says that they will reign with Him a thousand years. So you're not going to sit around in a cloud playing the harp all day, beloved. Amen? Amen. Like Try to sell that to a high schooler. You need to trust Jesus as your Savior so you can go to heaven. Really? What do I get to do there? Oh, I don't know. You just sit around in a cloud all day and play a harp. Well, I don't want to do that. But you tell a high schooler, hey, you no, know, this is this is big time. Christ is coming back and He's going to establish His dominion on this planet. And He's going to rule and reign and He's going to have his, his servants rule and reign with Him. And we will judge the fallen angels. And we will exercise dominion. And we're going to do what Adam and Eve failed to do. We're going to have dominion here on this planet. And it's going to last forever and ever. We'll always be with the Lord, serving Him and delighting to be in His presence because He is the most wonderful, powerful, glorious being of all. And He wants you with Him. And if you really want to play a hop that bad, I'm sure you can fit that in. Right? I mean, this is, this is biblical. And so we've got this, I you don't know, Plato, I think, is responsible for it. But this, this broken philosophy that's crept into religious thinking that, you know, heaven's just boring. It's not. It's awesome. So these are the reasons why we should focus on Christ. Focus on things Eternal. Because you've dined with Him. You've been raised with Him. You are hidden Him. And you're coming with Him. You're coming back here with Him. Don't trouble yourself if you can't make it to Hawaii or Jamaica or any of those places yet. You're going to have a long, 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 long time to see a beautiful and perfected planet. You know, John Owen says, as I close, affections are in the soul. As the helm is in the ship. If it be laid hold on by a skillful hand, it turns the whole vessel the way it pleases. The affections that are in your heart today will steer the direction of your life. You will do what you want to do. Now, you might say, well, I really didn't want to do that. No. No, you did. You did. You did. And we need to take our affections to the Lord and say, Oh God, have my, have my heart, have my affections. I render my mind captive to Christ today. I want you to rule the reign of my heart. I want to set my mind on things above. I want to set my mind on things where, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From whence He will come to judge the quick and the dead. I want to set my mind on things that are forever and eternal. And that will help me live above the things that are temporal. The things that seek to destroy. And we are we're living in a world that seems to be lost in its gadgets and its social media and its video games and its cell phones and its shopping centers and its marketing and its wealth accumulation, striving for success and trying to become independent of others, maintaining the illusions that we don't need anyone else or anything else because we are self-made women and self-made men. We can also be distracted by church. We can love the things that the church offers and not be in love with Christ. I mean, get your mind around that for a second. We can choose churches because of their beauty, because of their facilities, because of their programs, because of their music, because of their social status in the community, because of their pastor, because of their fellowship and their pawbucks, And we can be absorbed with how church makes us feel and how much we really like it there. And church can replace Jesus Christ if our focus shifts from worship to we ship. I just made that word up. But, you know, we, our focus is to be on Christ. And we can focus on everything else but... remember one time I was warned uh, that pastors sometimes can fall in love with their own theology, but not in love with Jesus. I don't want to be the guy that knows his way around a few Bible verses, but doesn't really love Christ. You know, we need to realize how insidious our own idolatry can be. And so... Beloved, I pray that today's search in these scriptures has helped us to see four motivations that will help us live our lives for the glory of Christ. George Swinnick says, A man who sees a candle for, after 14 years, having been born in a dark dungeon, wonders at its glory and delights in beholding it. And inquires into its nature. Bring him afterwards into the open air to behold the sun. And all his wonder will be directed to this great luminary. Man is taken up with the candle of creature comforts. Let him once see the Son of Righteousness, the all-sufficient and eternal God, the excellence of his glorious being, and that which was glorious before has no more glory in comparison to the sight of God. Lord, you pray with me now. Father in glory, some of us are guilty at beholding the candle in our life. We stare at this candle as if we are in a world of darkness and we wonder at the the candle, the the wonderful distraction that our books and our puzzles and our games and our and our stuff gives us. We wonder at the lovely candle in our hand and we think of all the things that we can buy and accumulate and trade and keep and save and will to other people. We're so wrapped up in a world. That is. That is failing but God how we pray that you would help us to see before us today the glorious splendor of the son of God that we would be enraptured at the glory of God and we would desire him before anything else that you would take our life and let it be wholly consecrated unto thee And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. I think the Lord uh, has given the Spirit to speak to our hearts and church this morning. And uh, I just want to let you know our elders will be up here if you maybe have never had a heavenly focus before. Uh, Maybe you're saying, I've never uh, had a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe I, I... Uh, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. And so, as you leave, if you want to come forward, and talk with one of our elders. We will be up here, and we'd love to sit down and just pray with you. Here. Church, thanks so much for coming. Have a great day.